In the name of Jesus, amen. I've noticed something quite interesting about Christians. It's that they like to ask their pastor and other Christians practical questions in the form of hypotheticals. And so they'll ask a lot of vague what-ifs over what-about questions. And I've realized that when they're asking these questions abstractly, they're actually thinking of something concretely that's going on. They have a specific situation in mind. So, for example, when someone asks, well, what if someone sins against you and isn't sorry about it? Do you still have to talk to that person? Uh, What they're really asking is, is it okay that I've already cut ties with so-and-so and don't have a relationship with them anymore? And usually when Christians ask questions like this, they're attempting to find an answer in order to justify themselves by by finding some sort of loophole. So instead of talking to the pastor and trying to reconcile or talking to that Christian, trying to reconcile with that person, they try to find a way to appease their conscience through some sort of exception or loophole to that. Uh, They don't actually want to be told what to do in that situation. They just want to make sure that what they've done is okay. And so you're going to find that nine times out of ten, these hypotheticals are posed in such a way that it favors the one speaking and not the one they're talking about. And when this happens, they just want to deal with the situation from a distance and and console their own conscience, not get up close and personal to uh, that, that very situation. Well, this attitude is a lot like the lawyer who confronted Jesus in the gospel lesson for today. The lawyer, who is an expert in God's law, he stood up to Jesus to test him, and he asked a a question to test him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers with that question with a question, and he asks him, he says, what does the Bible say? He says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, okay, you've answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. And with one swift blow, he crushes the man's spirit, his pride and his self-confidence. And as the lawyer stands there condemned because he hadn't done this perfectly, he thinks he has loved God perfectly, but he knows he hasn't loved his neighbor perfectly. So uh, he says, uh, the scripture says, he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? What he's trying to do here is soften the blow. He knew he couldn't keep God's law perfectly, so he's trying to find a gap or some uh, uh, little excuse or some way out, something that would exempt him from the condemnation of, uh, of the wrath of God against not keeping all of these sins. And so he thinks to himself, sure, yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but uh, if you think about it, if you really think about it, everyone has different neighbors you know, and, and so who exactly is my neighbor? That definition changes from person to person. And there, you know, there, there's some people I can take care of, some people I can't. Uh, and he's trying to rationalize his way out. Well, Jesus sees through this and he sees the man's heart. And he knows that the very fact that this man asked the question in this way proves that he has no real concern for others. He only wants to know what he has to do and for whom he has to do it in order to get his reward of eternal life. He's not actually seeking to benefit his neighbor. He's not saying, how can I help my neighbor the most? 
He's trying to figure out who his neighbor is. Not so that he could love them, but so that he can get what he's trying to get, which is eternal life. So his neighbor, for him, is only a means to an end, only a thing to get to something greater. It's not the end in and of itself. He's only asking these questions to justify himself. So when the lawyer asks, and who is my neighbor? What he's actually asking, what he's truly asking, is who isn't my neighbor? In other words, who don't I have to love? Who don't I have to take care of? Who can I ignore and leave for half dead without that affecting me and the eternal life I'm trying to get? So if this lawyer can define his neighbor in a manageable way, then he's going to be okay. And if his definition conveniently excludes those whom he doesn't love, then he's a righteous man. If the definition of neighbor allows him to keep a safe distance from those he doesn't actually want to be around, then they don't count as his neighbor and he'll have kept the law and he gets eternal life. And many times we do the same thing when we ask practical and theological questions vaguely about what we should and shouldn't do. We're oftentimes trying to find a way to justify ourselves. Or when we ask, well, who really is our neighbor anyway? We're really just trying to find a way out of taking care of our neighbor that we know very clearly who it is. And when it comes to what the lawyer asked today, we're oftentimes guilty of trying to find ways to exclude certain people from being our neighbor. So the, the truth is we have no problem helping our friends or our loved ones or, or uh, our family members when they're sick and lonely or helping people who, who we like. And we like to help people who are in need. It, it actually makes us feel better. We volunteer, we donate money, and we give to those who don't have. But the issue today isn't so much that we don't want to help people. The real issue is that we don't want to help certain people. And this is precisely what Jesus is getting at today. We all have this list in our mind, our, our neighbor list, a list of people who we consider neighbors, people who we consider uh, those who are close to us, those we want to help and those we don't want to help. And we're happy to help those we love, but what about those we don't? And even more that don't love us. Are we responsible for them too? Do we have an obligation to help those? What about the people who sin against us? Can I cross them off of that list? And what about the people who are uncomfortable to be around? And what about those people who are really mean and make life difficult for us? We can come up with a thousand reasons as to why we can't help them. What about those who have wronged us, those who annoy us, those we can't stand? We'll find a thousand ways to say, well, look, if you really think about it, I'm not the best person suited to help them in this situation. That's for someone else. What about those people in a lower class than us? And those people who speak a different language or who have a different skin color, who have a different way of life or who have a different political view or with those whom, with whom we disagree? We find a thousand different ways to cross over on the other side of the road instead of helping them when they're in need. We're great at pretending that we don't see their wounds. We're experts at finding ways to be busy at the exact moment that they need our help. The truth is this, that our neighbor is anyone whom God places before us. 
Our neighbor is whoever is in need. Even more, whoever among you is least like you, and the person that you least want to help and be around, that person is your neighbor. The person you need to care for the most is the person that you don't actually want to care for at all. You have plenty of people. You, you don't have to go out of your way to, to, to try and find people to help. You have plenty of people here in this congregation. And God has called you not only to help the people in this congregation that you want to help, but even the people you don't get along with. And God has placed plenty of people before you in your own family, those whom you shouldn't avoid, but rather be a neighbor to them as well. And God has placed plenty of people in your, your, your place of employment and in your neighborhood those who need your help. And so God's law confronts us today. Have you been a good neighbor? Have you kept God's law perfectly? Have you found an exception to the lack of your good works? See, we can't find our life in the law. The law is opposed to you, and you are opposed to that law. The law accuses us of our sin. The law tells us uh, what to do, but it doesn't help us do what we should do. The law is only going to be there to judge you when you sin and when you fail. The law will expose your hypotheticals as hypocrisy. Loving your family and loved ones isn't keeping the law. Loving your neighbor as yourself, even if your neighbor happens to be your enemy, that is keeping the law. And you haven't done it. And yet, instead of getting defensive and coming up with excuses as to why you've helped some and avoided others, listen to Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. He tells of a man who was robbed, stripped, and left half dead. A priest and a Levite saw him, ignored him, avoided him, and passed him by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, the one who is least like him, the one who has, he has nothing in common with, helps him. Helps the wounded man and he has compassion on him. He binds his wounds, he pours on oil and wine, and he takes him to an inn. And then note what Jesus says to the lawyer at the end of the parable. After all of this, he says, all right, this lawyer, Jesus says to him, which of these three, right, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he answers, the one who showed mercy. By telling this parable, Jesus is explaining to the man exactly what is happening to him in that moment. After hearing God's word, this man who attempted to justify himself, it, 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 and when he heard God's word, he attempted to justify himself. And if he's trying to justify himself, it's because he knows he stands condemned. He knows that he, he is not justified. If he knows he's trying to find a way for him to have salvation, it's because he knows he doesn't have that uh, salvation. Rather, he has only condemnation on him. And so after God's law beats this man, strips him of his good works and robs him of any hope and leaves him for dead, Jesus doesn't walk away at that moment and say, yes, you got it, uh, do this and you will live, and he walks away. Rather, when this poor lawyer was suffering from the weight of God's law, when he was standing in condemnation and despair, Jesus is that good Samaritan who has mercy on him. And instead of passing by this man, he goes out of his way to preach 
the gospel to him, even if the man didn't ask to hear it. The lawyer began by asking who he needs to be a neighbor to. And Jesus answered him by telling him the neighbor he is in need of. The lawyer, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And in this parable, Jesus responds by saying, I am. So Jesus saw that this man was in need. And he did for this man what the law doesn't do. And he does for us what the law cannot do. He binds our wounds and he forgives us when we're beaten down and in despair. And he heals us. When the law condemns us of our sin, Christ comes to help us in our helpless condition. When the law walks over our dying bodies, offering no help, Christ goes out of his way to save us. When the crushing weight of God's law falls upon us and crushes our sinful hearts, Christ takes that law and bears it upon his back and he carries us with him to the cross and he keeps carrying us with him to the grave and he brings us to his holy church and into the arms of our dear Father in heaven. When he saw us at our very worst, he didn't judge us or look the other way. Rather, he saved us and he helped us and he healed us and he entrusted us to the care of his holy church. So Jesus is that good Samaritan, the good Samaritan that he speaks of, not only as the example, but as our savior. He tells us not only what it means to have mercy, but he tells us of his mercy and that these two go together. They can't be separated. When we contemplate the mercy that we should be showing to others, we should first remember the mercy that he had on us. From his mercy, we're able to be merciful to others. And just as Christ bore our sins, he teaches us to bear one another's burdens as well and to share with one another the same forgiveness that we receive. So, have mercy on others as Christ had mercy on you. Love one another as your dear Father in heaven loved you. Help those around you, even if they're difficult to love, even if they're unlovable, knowing that Christ loved you when you were unlovable, knowing that he died for you while you were still a sinner, knowing that he forgave you when you weren't worthy of his forgiveness. Knowing that he has saved you and bound your wounds through his death and life and resurrection. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.